Double Irish with Mick Smith, an Irish business and finance podcast. Is the customer, the customer always right? No, the customer is nearly always wrong. We'll either hit the jackpot or we'll go down in flames. Here you go, boss. Another one done. And then we discuss big business. Hello and welcome to the first ever Double Irish with Mick Smith podcast. This program is dedicated to Irish commerce. Throughout, I will discuss a vast range of topics from startup culture to office soft skills, finance, macroeconomics, and much more. I will look to engage with some of the country's business leaders, young professionals, and academics. But without further ado, let me introduce the first show. Later on, I will have what will be a running segment on the show called the Isaac Digest. The Isaac Digest is a weekly review of the companies on the Isaac Stock Exchange and how they got on over the last five days. I will also discuss why I started the podcast and what I hope to achieve with the podcast. However, the main part of this episode is an interview I did with Eagle Alpha CEO, Mr. Emmett Kilduff. Emmett founded his company, Eagle Alpha, in 2012. Eagle Alpha provides alternative data services to the asset management industry. Hello and welcome to an historic first interview on the Double Irish podcast. Today I've travelled out to Ballsbridge to Eagle Alpha HQ to speak to CEO and founder, Mr. Emmett Kilduff. Hi Emmett, first of all, a massive thank you for accommodating me today and, and let me come speak to you. Um, I suppose you work in the alternative data industry. I suppose many people probably know the big data industry but mightn't be as familiar with alternative data. Can you just give a kind of a guide of what, what it actually is? Sure. Uh, first of all, thank you for having having <laughs> me. I'm always happy to uh, help emerging entrepreneurial <laughs> activity. Um, alternative data um, in our space is uh, defined as non-traditional data that can be used by asset managers in their investment process. Um, all the traditional data sets are typically available via traditional channels, whether that's Bloomberg, Reuters, uh, S&P, and so forth. And so um, there's this new emerging term called alternative data, which from a very high level means non-traditional data that can be used in, in the investment process by asset managers. Um, but to bring it to life a bit more, um, we like to define it across all the categories of alternative data that we okay. see. And so uh, categories would include satellite data, credit card data, social media data, app data, geolocation data. These okay. are all the new emerging categories of really interesting data that can be leveraged by hedge funds or asset managers to help them in their investment process. I suppose that would bring me on to my next question of in that in that industry where it's so competitive, I suppose, how are your clients using this data to, to get that advantage and to obtain alpha and, and, and sort of beat their competitors at this, at this moment in time? Well, I mean, asset managers are always looking for an edge to help them um, in their investment process. And really the answer to your question depends on the type of asset manager. 
broadly there are three types of asset managers quantitative hedge funds discretionary hedge funds and discretionary more traditional mutual funds and depending on the type of firm and their investment strategy they will use different types of data in different ways so if i give you an example of of, for each of those um quantitative funds uh, like data sets with long histories that l- are related to hundreds or thousands of tickers or stocks and they plug those data sets into their black box models black box models excuse me and the models tell tell them whether to add that data set whether it's incremental to their to their investment strategy that's quite sophisticated use of data yeah. um, uh, discretionary hedge funds, a lot of funds in uh, New York and Connecticut that are maybe more short-term orientated are using credit card data sets to get a flavor for the next quarter earnings for a stock like a Netflix or an Amazon. And how accurate sort of uh, does it correlate sort of the traditional data and, and your alternative data? Do you see it? Do you suppose, do we see the kind of same results uh, sort of both, like say prediction-wise, like say uh, Bloomberg earnings and like credit card data. If you can, you draw the same conclusions from both. Or well, the the, the great thing about alternative data, credit card data, is as an example, is that you can get it uh, in effectively in real time. Uh, so you don't have to wait for the announcements, the regulatory announcements by the company. You can have a view on the spending of U.S. consumers on Netflix subscriptions uh, every day. Um, uh, and um, you know, having that granularity is, it can be really helpful and um, give you a heads up on how predictions, uh, how performance might be. Um, but th- th- that, that, that's an example of how maybe shorter term hedge funds use it. Lots, lots, there's lots of other hedge funds that are longer term focused, despite what the press might say. Um, uh, and then clearly on the mutual fund side, a lot of those clients that we have are much more longer term orientated. So. As an example, a big mutual fund, the one thing they've asked us for is, what do US consumers think of Nike footwear versus Adidas footwear? And how can lots of different types of alternative data or tools help us think about just, just that research question? And that, that, that is all they want to know, and that's the key to their research question. Um, which will, you know, is key to their investment process and, and so on. And so I suppose geographically, where would most of your clients be coming from? Is it is it the US or is it London or here? Yeah, I think it's probably, if you did a pie chart of location of asset managers globally, it, 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 it's probably um, it's probably similar to that, if not more binary. Um, 95% of our clients are in the States. Uh, they are the most innovative asset managers globally. They get big data or alternative data, whatever you'd like to call it, um, more than we do on this side of the pond. Um, so geographically, yes, it's the US are leading the way. Um, London and the rest of EMEA uh, would come next. And then APAC, Asia Pacific, would, 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 would follow EMEA, would lag EMEA. Okay. I suppose then, I suppose, how, I suppose my next question is, how did you I suppose, get into alternative? I know you're kind of a, an alumni of the Canary Wharf uh, investment banking world. I suppose, how did you make the move from, from that to, to providing alternative data services? Well, I go, go back to many years ago. I always, I always wanted to be a technology entrepreneur. Uh, my father was a technology entrepreneur, so I grew up with that sort of entrepreneurial desire and instinct in my blood. Um, but I uh, was given very good advice in college, which was to go learn how the world works first before you place your bets. 
which is exactly what I what I did. I, I did a master's in internet in uh, the Michael Smurfer Graduate School back in 1999-2000 when the internet was, was a major uh, uh, thing. And I heard about a technology banker called Frank Quattrone who was working for Credit Suisse at the time and he was doing all the tech IPOs and I just had to be part of that. And so I joined uh, Credit Suisse in uh, May 2000, floated the Carphone warehouse, uh, worked on River Deep uh, deals and so on. Um, and so I, what was fascinating over the years in working in investment banking was bringing these companies to the stock exchange, but also um, getting inspired by these entrepreneurs and CEOs who were leading serious companies. And um, so I was always, always, always looking to jump ship from investment banks. And um, eventually, I, when I was working at Morgan Stanley, um, um, I got the inspiration. And Morgan Stanley were the first investment bank to incorporate big data work within their research department. And uh, that's through a team called AlphaWise. And it was the output from the AlphaWise team um, uh, that really inspired me to set up Eagle Alpha. I started to see that content maybe six or seven years ago, which is relatively early in terms of thinking about big data for asset managers. And um, I left Morgan Stanley in 2012 uh, with that inspiration, incorporated Eagle Alpha in September 2012. And here we are nearly four and a half years later. Enjoying every step. Yeah, look, it's it's high risk, high reward. Yeah, and, uh, it's it's what I've always dreamt of doing: yeah. building a successful company, and uh, we're well on our way. I suppose one of the big successes you have is is like any company is getting funding, and and that's something you have had good success. I think it was I think six million dollars was what I saw on your website. Uh, how has that process been, or was it difficult? Or I guess I spent my whole career. Uh, before you go out for raising money, um, whether that's a Credit Suisse or Morgan Stanley, so I have a fair understanding <laughs> as, as to how to raise money. Um, um, raising business angel level money is really difficult, though. Um, you have to burn a lot of rubber around the streets of uh, uh, London, Hong Kong, and and, and, and Dublin um, in order to get checks from people. Um, we uh, we decided to not to get money from just people with money, money for money's sake. Um, our objective was to get money from people that can contribute to the business. So most of our investors are people that have worked at investment banks or asset managers. And have that expertise um, to, to provide to the company. Yeah, be mentors to me yeah. and also advise on product roadmap and um, introduce um, uh, potential clients. Um, and as a small firm, th that type of uh, advice and introductions was 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 critical. Um, so um, yes, we've raised six million to date. We're currently doing another round, a smaller uh -huh. angel round, and then we will look to do our first institutional round, um, which means that'll be our called our Series A round, um, and uh, we'll look to start that uh, in the in, in next month. Oh wow! Um, I suppose then. I suppose. Next question would be, the, did, where you guys get your data sets from or, or how you source them? Because I imagine, I suppose, it's quite competitive to, to, to like obtain the data sets. So how does that process work? Yeah, so um, some asset managers have dedicated data procurement teams, uh, but the overwhelming majority of them don't. And so we have our own data procurement team and they, are, they, they act in the same way that they would do if they were internal in an asset management firm. And so, for example, we have uh, 
uh, one of our guys going to the uh, fintech conference in Madrid. I think it's next week or the week after to talk to payment companies to educate them on how we could help them monetize their data. Um, we get introductions uh, from investment banks to potential data companies now that we've been mentioned in a, a city and uh, a JP Morgan paper on, on alternative data, we're getting incomings direct saying, you know, educate us on how um, the data can be monetized amongst us and managers. So um, it's, it's, it's competitive in the States, but actually today it's not competitive with EMEA or APAC. Um, and, um, you know, we're, we're certainly looking at this from a global perspective and there's a huge number of data sets coming down the pipe. There's no there's no shortage of data, right? We've, as, as Goldman Sachs Asset Management put it, we've entered the data revolution, uh, the fourth re- industrial revolution since um, March 2000. And, and there's not the same backlog of data, though, is there? Like, say, the alternative data wouldn't be, you wouldn't have, say, the same historic comparisons, would you, at this point, really? I think that's that's absolutely fair observation. I think... Um, uh, if you look at the 24 categories of alternative data, that are, there are some that are clearly relatively new, I guess like social media, certain forms of social media. Um, another category, um, uh, like trade shipping data, there is good history. Um, are lots of clients you leverage Google data to uh, build signals and indicators? And of course, Google's had a lot of data for at least 10 years. Um, it is unlike traditional data sets where you can get economic data sets that go back 50 years. It's, that's definitely not the world we live in. We're uh, a, a younger um, emerging uh, space. Um, but there, are, there is a variety ranging from a lot to two in the two to three year historic range. But there are, there are data sets that are 10, 10 years. And they're the types of data sets, especially that the quantitative funds want because they need the length, the history to be able to do their, their testing. And I suppose it seems that like a big part of your offering is, is, isn't just the actual data itself, it's, it's the human expertise. So I suppose what sort of people would you look to hire and I suppose what sort of people are their, their roles in, in providing that value to their clients? Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's, um, it all starts with data procurement. Uh, so you need a team literally you know, flying to Beijing and Shanghai and, and signing up data sets. So it starts with data, that's our raw material. Um, and then you need analysts that used to work at the investment banks or asset managers who know what the market wants and know how to think about turning raw data into signals. Um, and in between then you need data scientists uh, that have a quantitative uh, skill set and machine learning type skill sets, as well as engineers to build the tools. Uh, in some cases, clients want tools to do it themselves. So they're the four different types of people that, that we have downstairs. Um, apart from that, then, obviously, as a, from a company perspective, we have management and we have sales and marketing and so on and operations. Perfect. Um, I suppose I think you have a meeting coming up. So unfortunately, I think that's all we have time for. But uh, before we finish, I'd just like to say thank you. I can say a massive thank you for having me in today. It was I kind of sent you an email more and hoped an expectation. And like it was a big boost for me to to like have you as my first interview so massive massive thank you Emmett and I wish you all the best for the future thank you and very good luck with the podcast oh, thanks Emmett The Isaac Digest a weekly review of the Irish stock market overall there was a marginal increase in the exchange 
Hibernia Rhea PLC rose by over 8% during the week as it makes dividend plans. The investment trust which owns and lets properties in Dublin saw an increase in the value of its portfolios owing to financial service companies relocating to the capital. Similarly, Total Produce PLC also announced an increased dividend on Thursday which meant its share price closed up 3.5% over a week's trading. At the start of the week, building materials group Kingspan saw a notable decline owing to a shortage of a key resource for its installation business. However, the Cavan-based company did rally towards the end of the week. Banking stocks such as AAB and Bank of Ireland traded up during the week in line with other European banks. And finally, Ryanair CEO Michael O'Leary during the week announced that the airline would carry an additional 10 million passengers this year. The market responded in kind with a 6% increase in the share price over the week, with the budget airline hitting a record high in trading on Friday. That was your Isaac Digest for the week ending the 26th of May 2017. So to wrap up guys, uh, I suppose I just want to talk about why I decided to start a podcast. First of all, if you stayed this long into the podcast, thank you for, for listening. The idea to start a podcast is kind of an idea I've had for maybe the guts of a year. Kind of just had it in my head for a while, didn't do anything. Then eventually kind of said it to a few friends who encouraged me and here I am. Uh, I have no experience of audio con- producing audio content or anything that so please bear with me while I get my bearings and, and get my get that initial learning curve uh, I suppose just how to how do you, there's a lot that goes into a podcast as in how to use the equipment how to use software getting comfortable speaking to the mic getting comfortable asking for questions there's a lot of new skills I'm trying to acquire here in, in, a, in a fairly short period of time so Again, just your patience on that will be be much appreciated. Uh, I'm on various social medias. Uh, the Twitter for the podcast is at Double Irish MS. Uh, if you'd like to contact me or or, or to, to you'd like to come onto the show or anything, you can email Double Irish with Mick Smith at gmail dot com. I'll also be uh, putting it up. Also, be posting the podcast on my LinkedIn. Uh, and then SoundCloud will be the main platform so it's just Double Irish with Mick Smith on SoundCloud um, hopefully uh, you'll come back and listen to future content and uh, again just thanks for listening